Our text this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Peter writes, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To understand this passage of Scripture, we must understand the relationship between God's grace and our faith and works. This passage deals with the same principle that's found in the epistle of James, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, where James wrote, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Ye a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. There are two basic truths that are identified here in this passage. The first is that faith, which is a transitive verb in the Greek, meaning that it requires an object that performs the work. The only reason to tell you that it is a transitive verb is that a transitive verb requires an object that performs the work or it's dead faith. Through the years, there's been much division in the church over this very issue of faith. Faith without works. As a matter of fact, it drove Martin Luther to make the declaration that the book of James shouldn't be in the Bible. Because James talks about faith with works, and the Apostle Paul identifies it's faith alone that has any saving power. We recognize the problem when we look at the original language and hence my reference to it this morning. The transitive verb has to be in an object that performs the work or it's dead faith. You had faith in sitting down in the chair that you're sitting in this morning, probably without any thought at all about it. But your faith prompted you to works. You sat down in it, but the chair has to do the work. And if that chair did not do the work of supporting you that it was designed to do, then it would be dead faith. So in salvation, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. He is the only entrance into the very kingdom of God. So if our faith, that means our dependency is upon Him, He did the work. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He had a victorious resurrection over death and the grave. He ascended to our Father in heaven. He is interceding on our behalf. And praise God, He's coming again. So our faith is in the one that did the work. However, as it relates to living the Christian life, then our faith must be upon the Word of God and the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ 
And we must be dependent upon them, for it is only as we place our dependency upon the promises and the principles and the truths that are in the Word of God, it is only then that that faith is alive and only then that we in our living produce the work that gives testimony that we have visited and been with our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter approaches this subject from a bit of a different angle than the Apostle James. James stresses that our works are a manifestation of our faith. Peter stresses that the application of these principles that we've been studying over the past several weeks, and we'll be studying over the future several weeks, by the time we conclude this series, you should have a familiarity with these seven basic principles, these I call them mechanics for living the Christian life, so that you can recite them one by one and all before our series is over. James approaches it his way under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in the first epistle that was given, and now Peter comes along a few later, a few years later, and he addresses this issue then that here are the mechanics, the specific word that we must rely upon, the things that we must do in order to manifest that we have a relationship with God. In addition to providing a manifestation of our works, of our calling and election, these seven basic mechanics provide a protection that Peter says keeps us from falling or keeps us from stumbling. Let's look at the text then. In verse 10, Peter wrote this, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if these things, referring to the seven mechanics that we've been looking at, if these things then be in you, then ye shall never fall. That word wherefore in the text takes us back to our previous study of the seven basic mechanics that Peter has outlined that we are to use for a guide in living our lives day by day. The process is to be operating in our lives daily in order that we might be productive Christians and children of God. Let me review those. We are to make it a principle to exhibit all earnestness and haste to fully supply in the sphere of your faith, in the great and valuable promises of God, to supply that moral behavior which will acquire for us the highest opinion. In the sphere of that moral behavior that will acquire for us the highest opinion, we are to fully supply or develop then the process of studying the Word of God. In the sphere of our 
being controlled by the Holy Spirit, we must create that sphere in that sphere of studying the Word of God, gaining knowledge. In that process of studying the Word of God, we are to fully develop then self-control. We try to go at that backwards. We want to begin by developing self-control. If I could just get control of myself, stop making foolish or, or unreasonable decisions and make the right choices and the right decisions. So we focus on controlling ourselves. But notice it's down the line in the process for developing a successful Christian life. We have to put faith, that is dependency, upon the promises and the principles of the Word of God. And as we develop that faith, then within that faith, we are to maintain a life controlled by the Holy Spirit, yielding to the Holy Spirit, using 1 John 1, 9, now on a regular basis as we identify our shortcomings and our failures. And in the sphere of that being controlled by the Holy Spirit, then we can acquire the knowledge that we need and be involved in the process. Notice the focus is upon the process of of getting knowledge, not just getting knowledge, because we'll never exhaust the knowledge that is available from God. But we need to work at the process and be consistent. I don't know about New Year's resolutions. Uh, We seem to put the horse ahead of, uh, or the cart ahead of the horse in that with the same statement I made just a moment ago that we want to focus on self-control. No, self-control comes as we are focused upon taking in the Word of God, which we are going to be in that process as we are controlled by the Spirit of God, which will be dependent upon our being then dependent or having faith in the promises of God. It's within that sphere then of self-control that we are to develop a contentment regardless of our circumstances. Now, I use the word contentment because that word in the English identifies more specifically the kind of life that God has designed for us. He has designed a means whereby with His promises we can develop that dependency so that we are content regardless of our circumstances. In the sphere of that contentment, then, we are to develop a duty to God that is characterized by our doing what God wants with our lives instead of acting independent of that. And in that duty to God, doing what He wants, we are able to develop brotherly love. And within that sphere of brotherly love, that brotherly love is phileo, it, it is the type of love that is dependent upon response and relates to response, but within that we are to develop self-sacrificial love. So by the time this year is done, you will have ample exposure 
to these seven principles, I don't get into too much of the situation about take them home and use a magnet and attach them to the door of your refrigerator. I, I'll leave that to you. They're not going to do any good on the refrigerator door. It's in your front, right frontal lobe is where these principles are going to be are going to need to be developed. Now, failure to develop this process results, according to our study, in the believer being blind and short-sighted, forgetting that he has been delivered from the authority of the old nature. He has now a choice whether or not to sin, and these seven principles will assure him of an awareness of that. So the wherefore takes us back to the very basics for our study in this second epistle of Peter. He says, wherefore the rather. Actually, we would translate that much more. It's going to go beyond that. There is much more that God has in store for us. And he identifies much more brethren. That's an identification of born again believers, and it was before the woke process and all the gender thing came out that God spoke this through the pen of the Apostle Peter, and so you can take it as a reference to all believers in general. Wherefore, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. Give diligence. We're back to that word spudas ate, and it means hasten with zeal and tenacity to affirm your calling, even your election. Make sure to confirm that they are sure. Calling and election. Now we are getting into doctrine, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's important for us to briefly review. I've given you the notes. That's why your your study guide was 16 pages long, because in the middle of it is a section that you need to be familiar with. Uh, in order to understand how to apply the principles that we're looking at, how to fully supply them or develop them within our lives, we need to know a word about calling, election, predestination, foreknowledge, and foreordination. (laughs) Now there you did it. You turned me off. You said, well, I'll wait till he gets through that, and then I'll come back and see what he's got to say about the text. The Christian world is divided over these basic words. Calling, election, predestination, foreknowledge, and foreordination. They're really not that complicated. Men have, with good intentions, complicated the simple things of God. And so I want to briefly review them this morning. Back earlier in our study of positional truth, remember I gave you uh, a sheet that had a cross with two circles on it. We identified those as spheres. 
that the top one was a circle with a dot in the center of it, and it identifies our salvation, our position in Christ. When we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, at that moment, the Holy Spirit baptizes us, immerses us into union with Christ, and we become one with Him. And it's illustrated throughout the New Testament grammar in the, in the Koine Greek with a dot with a circle around it to show the eternal possession of the dot by the circle. When we are placed there by the Holy Spirit, it's in a moment of time, taken out of time, perpetuated for time, and given to us forever. We are forever secure in that position. So in that chart that I gave you, I put the cross and then the upper circle had a dot with a circle around it. And then below that, within the bottom circle, there was a line going into that circle because while we are eternally children of God as a result of a spiritual birth, we're not always in harmony with the Father. We walk in a path that is not uh, designed for our good. <clears throat> we walk independent of Him. And in so doing, we are out of fellowship. And so <clears throat> that is illustrated in the chart that we gave you by, <clears throat> excuse me, by a line into the circle. And the distinction in the Greek is based on two prepositions. There is the word in that is translated in, and it is the word that is used that identifies the dot and the circle. Christ hath redeemed unto himself a peculiar people. That word peculiar is periousion. It means a dot with a circle around it. It shows ownership and identifies then our stability and permanence in that position. But at the same time, we began a walk with God and we either are in fellowship or out of fellowship depending on whether or not our there is unconfessed sin in our life. And so First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's related to our day-by-day fellowship. It has nothing to do with salvation other than it's made possible by our salvation that we have this ability to fellowship with God. And so, as we looked at those illustrations and identified that our position in Christ explains then the doctrine of election. It explains the doctrine of predestination. It explains the doctrine of foreknowledge and foreordination. Those terms all relate to the fact that we are placed in Christ permanently by the Holy Spirit when we call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. The doctrines of calling, election, predestination, foreknowledge, and foreordination have been completely confused by good men with good intentions. But good intentions will never compensate for good scholarship and the accurate interpretation of the Word of God. There are those who suggest that in eternity past, 
God looked down across the corridors of time and He selected certain ones that He would provide salvation for. All others are damned to the lake of fire and brimstone. Everyone deserves the lake of fire and brimstone. But they teach that He looked down across time itself and set out certain individuals that He would call, that would be elected, that would be predestined, that would have this foreknowledge and foreordination fulfilled. I I shudder when I hear such teaching because it makes our God of grace and love, our God of mercy and compassion, makes a monster out of God to say that God selected some apart from their free will, that nobody has a choice. But He selected these some, and the rest are going to go to hell and spend eternity there forever. That's a monster God. And if I so believed that, I would not be in this pulpit, but rather I would be out seeing if we couldn't overthrow that kind of God. I know there have been better men and angels themselves that have tried and have failed, but if we have that kind of a monster God, I would have to take position against Him. But ours is a God of love and mercy. And, and when we harmonize the character of God as it's revealed and identified to us, we are able to understand the provision that He has made. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. Isaiah wrote in chapter 45 verse 21, There is no God else beside me as He speaks of God. A just God and Savior. There is none beside me. So if God were to select those that He desired to save apart from their free will, He would be an unjust God by His own standards. To reason that God would select those He wants to save apart from their own choice would violate the other aspects of the character of God. Remember the basic principles of biblical interpretation have to be applied to every doctrine that we find in the Word of God. Three things we must pursue. What does the passage say? Secondly, what is the context in which it is said? And thirdly, how does it harmonize with every other passage of Scripture in the Word of God? When those basic principles of interpretation are applied to our study, then we are able to see really how simple these doctrinal truths are. In Second Peter chapter 3, that'll be a while before we get there, but it took a sneak peek ahead, says the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Since it's not God's will, that any perish, how can we suggest that He has selected only certain ones to save? 
If God made the choice to save only those that he selected, then why did he provide forgiveness for whosoever will? John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the whosoever will can only identify the reality that we have a choice in the man. A careful study of of Ephesians chapter 1 reveals that we are placed in Christ, that top circle, the dot with the circle around it. We are in Christ, and Christ is identified as the elect one, so we are in the elect. All that are in Christ are then predestined. All who are in Christ were foreknown by God, and all who are in Christ were foreordained. But the choice to be in Christ is available to whosoever will. And so it is not a conflict to identify our will with God's will. He devised a plan, and he gives us the choice to be associated with it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 are some of the most important statements that we have in the whole of the New Testament. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Where were we blessed? With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? In Christ. In Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us where? In Christ. He predestined that all that would be in Christ would have eternal life. And then he gives the invitation and the choice to whosoever will. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now the phrases unto the adoption and to himself are translated from the Greek preposition ice. In both instances, it should be translated by our English word into. Into. This preposition then shows that predestination is based upon our position in Christ. A position that is available by choice to, to whosoever will. This verse then begins with the same preposition when it says, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Where are we made accepted? In Christ. In the beloved. That dot encompassed by a circle in the chart with the cross. The second part of that verse says, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, emphasizes because of our position in Christ, we have this result. We have the option of choosing to be in Christ. Again, it's our position in Christ 
that results in our redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Remember, the option of being in Christ is offered to whosoever will. When He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. It's in Christ that we have His witness and His wisdom and prudence. The word prudence means intelligence. It's in Christ that the doctrines of the church age call mysteries or reveal. Enabling us then to do God's will, which can only be accomplished as a result of our being in Him. That in the dispensation of the of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things where in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. It's in Christ that we're all gathered together at the end of time, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Predestination means to predetermine. It's based on God's plan. He predetermined those who would receive Christ as Savior would have eternal life and would be with Him forever. By that same determination, those who reject Him would spend an eternity in the lake of fire and brimstone. But the choice to be in Him is ours. that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Now notice here, in whom also you trusted when that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also when that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Our sealing does not occur in eternity past. Our sealing occurs at the moment we call upon the name of Jesus and we are placed in that sphere. But remember, all of this is based on God's ability to foreknow the the future. To know you in eternity past. To know what decision you would make. Some say, well, if God knows the decision that I'm going to make, then I don't have a choice. No. God knows the choice you're going to make, therefore God knows. It's based on His seeing the future and His knowing whether or not you will respond and you will accept it. So election, predestination, knowledge, and foreordination do not function apart from the free will of man. God provided salvation to whosoever will, and He's given us the choice. The choice is among the elect, the predestined, the foreknown, the foreordained. That position is offered to whosoever will. He foreordained, established this plan of grace in eternity past before He formed the earth and before He created man. There are, however, some passages which need to be examined in order to harmonize them with this interpretation. 
John chapter 6 verse 44, for instance, says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. So those who ignore the free will position of man as it's established in emphatically in Scripture says you can't come unless the Father draw you. And they point out that word draw is the Greek word huselko. Uh, that means to drag in. Uh, that means it, it's used of a a hook in the mouth of a fish as it's drug in. And uh, so they say it's not our choice. It's up to him. However, another passage that they fail to harmonize with is found in John twelve thirty two that says, Jesus says, And but I live, be lifted up from the earth, I will draw how many? All men. I will draw all men unto me. And by the word, by the way, the word draw in both of those passages is the same Greek word, which means to draw. The thing that many of them miss, see that word unto, that's not into, that's unto. He does not drag you into that circle. He brings you up to that circle. He forces us to make a choice or a decision, but the choice is decision. Is ours. First Peter chapter one verse two gives the sequence for how this plan works. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Here's the sequence. God foreknew those who would accept Christ. Those he foreknew were, <clears throat> were elected to be set apart into Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was made possible through the obedience and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This results in grace being given to us and our peace being multiplied. Paul wrote in his final writing, that we have any record of to Pete Timothy in his second epistle, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And it says, Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and it brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Those who are elected are those who are in Christ. And we are called the elect because we made the choice to accept Christ and to be in Him. In Romans chapter 9 verse 13 it says, As it is written, uh oh, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God hated Esau. And so we have those who say God makes a choice. We don't have the choice. God makes the choice. God chose Jacob and he hated Esau. How can we 
talk of God hating. Well, we need to understand the word. The word hated that is used here is translated from the Greek word emissia. Emissia means to deny or refuse the claim that one makes. To deny or refuse the claim. It's not our word hate with its emotional basis. It's simply to deny their claim. God has one claim for salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ. Belief in the provision of God for our salvation. It is only by calling upon the name of Jesus that we are accepted. We find Jacob was probably by far the worst of the two brothers, Esau and Jacob. But Jacob appropriated God's grace and Esau was determined to do it his own way. So his claim was not legitimate. Our claim before the throne of God is faith in Jesus Christ. So God simply denied the claim of Esau because it was not valid. And yes, in God's foreknowledge, he knew, given the choice, that Jacob would choose for and Esau would choose against. So here's the process. God is not willing that any should perish. Second Peter 3.9 Yet only those chosen by God can have a part in His eternal kingdom. Did you hear me? Only those chosen by God can have a part, now hang on, in His eternal kingdom. So, God set up a plan before the world ever began whereby all who desire may be saved. All that desire may be saved. In the plan, the Son of God was elected to come to the earth as man's Redeemer. All who would trust Christ would then be entered into union with Christ and they would share His election and His destiny. This union with Christ is accomplished upon faith through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The word baptism means immersed into union with. The Holy Spirit immerses us into union with Christ. We become one with Him. We are the dot and He is the circle. And we have that oneness with Him. That's the baptismal act of the Holy Spirit. It's not some supernatural second blessing, some kind of emotional experience. It occurs when we call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. This union then is accomplished through faith by means of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is an eternal position. We've identified the dot is placed there permanently and cannot get around. God chooses or elects all those that are in Christ to share His eternal destiny. God draws all men to Christ through the death of Christ. We are drawn according to Christ. If He was lifted up, He would draw all men to Him up to the point of making a decision concerning Him. So those who by choice accept Christ 
are destined to eternal life with God, and those who reject Christ are destined to eternal damnation. Therefore, God has not predestined some to life and others to hell apart from their own free will. But he has simply provided a means by which all can have everlasting life. Predestination relates to our position. All that are in Christ are destined to life. All outside of Christ are destined for hell. This plan was predetermined in eternity past. The choice of destiny is ours. The sequence of predestination is outlined once again in this statement. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. God foreknew those who would believe. He elected all who would believe to be placed into position in Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This position was made possible through Christ's sacrifice. It's appointed and apportioned then according to our faith in Christ. The result of man's acceptance of God's offer of grace is an apparition our possession then of grace and multiplication of peace to the believer, we appropriate that by faith in Jesus Christ. This sequence is clearly seen in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, based on his knowledge. You see, it begins there. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So, those that he foreknew, he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, to have the holiness that is accredited to our life when we call upon the name of Jesus. And those that he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, he called. An invitation was given. Have you wondered why some people never hear the gospel? They are never exposed to the Word of God, and they never hear it, how is it then that they spend an eternity in hell? Well, we go back to the book of Romans chapter 1. God said uh, in that passage that He has uh, given to every man in all generations an awareness that He exists. And it's only when they know God and they don't want to glorify God as God, then that they are left without the gospel message. Those that God knows will respond will in some form or fashion, and there's some exciting stories that are told about individuals uh, that have been exposed to the gospel where in their own culture they would have never been exposed to the gospel and they have received Christ as Savior. God in His foreknowledge knows your decision and He guarantees your calling. 
He provides a means whereby we can be saved. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says that the holy angels, the elect angels, or ministering spirits sent to minister to those of us who are going to be heirs of salvation. He preserves us till we get to that point where we make that choice. We have a fair God. I illustrate that by saying if God, it's as though God drew a circle on the ground and he said, now all those that want eternal life step into the circle and all that do not step in are damned to spend eternity in hell. He did that in the figure, in the grammar, as he places us in Christ when we call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. So Peter, in this passage, and the the scriptural references to the points I have pointed out this morning are in your study guide, and I would encourage you to explore that. But we are in our text here in Second Peter to confirm our calling and to make our calling and election sure. It literally says, for continuously doing as a matter of principle these things. What things? The seven basic mechanics or principles that were introduced to us and that we're going to be working on and hopefully will shape your life and your objectives uh, during this year 2023. And uh, we, if, if by our doing those things, by our doing those things, we make our calling and our election sure. That is, we confirm that we have that relationship with God. So verse 10 of Second Peter chapter 1 should say, Wherefore, much more, brothers, you all hasten with zeal and tenacity, purposing to affirm steadfast your calling, even election. By the way, calling and election are one and the same. How do we know that? By the Greek grammar that is established here. The Greek grammar has a rule that says if you have two nouns that are of the same case and person, gender, and they are, the first noun has the word the in front of it and the second noun doesn't, and they are connected by the conjunction chi, K-A-I, then it's one and the same person. So the statement calling and election they are one and the same. They are accomplished when you call upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. So we are, how are we to affirm that we have this calling and this election that we are in Christ? We are to affirm that by practicing the mechanics that set forth here in these seven basic principles. We give the proper testimony to the fact and affirm that we are the called and the elect. Look at verse 11 in Second Peter 1. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. We spent considerable time, uh, about a year, uh, looking at current events and how they uh, relate to Bible prophecy. And uh, we did a brief overview of God's outline and plan for uh, the future and for eternity. And as we did that study then, we saw that when the church is raptured, when at the appointed hour Christ will come and take the church up out of this world and take us to His Father's house. He's coming as the bridegroom and the church is going to be His bride and is going to take us there. There is some preparation before the wedding occurs up there we saw. And that was, there is what is identified in Scripture as the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat of Christ. It's where, it's actually an awards banquet. It's where we are going to be given commendation for that which we have rendered in the kingdom service. And we're going to be commissioned for our role in the millennial kingdom and then in the eternal kingdom. And so if we practice these seven basic principles, if they become the mechanics of our life, we're going to breathe in uh, to that uh, judgment seat of Christ, to the Bema seat of Christ. He says, For an entrance uh, shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. He's referring to our being honored and our being uh, commended and also then commissioned as a result of our relationship with Christ and the practice of these principles. That entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, His deity. Savior, His becoming our deliverer. Jesus, His humanity in Christ, that Messiah Rule. So verse 11 reads this way. For so the entrance will be fully provided richly into the kingdom of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we adhere to those seven basics that Peter has set up for us and we are developing those, we're going to have an easy entrance at the judgment seat of Christ. So we are commanded to hasten with zeal and tenacity, purposing to affirm steadfastly our calling, even our election. For by doing these things that we've looked at in verses 5 through 7, continuously as a matter of principle, we will by no means ever have the potential for stumbling. These things listed in verses 5 through 7 that we are to follow then we will focus on in this series. Make it a principle to exhibit all earnest and haste to fully supply or fully develop in the sphere of your faith in the great and valuable promises of God that moral behavior which will acquire for us the highest opinion. There were 7,000 promises that are in the Word of God that relate to the 
church-age believer that we can claim. How many of them do we know? I know. A few of us say, well, Romans 8.28 gets me by. <laughs> well, there are 7,000 plus that will be the basis for our stability in this new year and for our exhibiting to others that we have a relationship with Christ. So, in the sphere of your developing faith in the promises of God, you are to fully develop then a lifestyle, a moral behavior that conforms with that. And within that sphere, and by the way, you can't meet that standard unless you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. So it's really a matter of being controlled by the Holy Spirit in order to have that moral behavior that will acquire for us the highest opinion. Within that sphere of conduct and behavior then, we are to develop the process of the study of the Word of God. Now I'm going to be here as long as the Lord leaves me uh, to uh, help provide a basis for that but once a week won't get you the nourishment that you need. You need to be daily in the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to review the promises of God, and to go over these principles. In the sphere of your getting that knowledge, then you are fully to develop a self-controlled will. It's as we know the Word of God and we believe the Word of God that our lives are changed and we conform to the will of God and therefore we are able to control our will. In the sphere of that control then of our will, we are able to develop a contentment. A contentment regardless of the circumstances. For most of us, our joy or happiness or sadness is dependent upon our circumstances. That ought not to be the case. It's only as we know the Word of God and the promises of God and the principles and we are applying them that then we develop that contentment. And within that sphere of contentment, no matter what our circumstances are, we are able to develop a responsive love to others. And within that sphere of developing a responsive love to others, we're able to develop a self-sacrificial will. It doesn't matter what their response is. We continue to love. Continuously doing these things affirm that we're chosen and elect. These things then give testimony to our salvation. Romans 8, 29 and 30, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called, and whom he called, them he justified, and whom he justified, them he glorified. We are chosen and elect only if we are in Christ and the choice to be in Christ is whosoever will. We're saved apart from our own works, but we are to show our faith by our works. We are to live this pattern, these seven principles as 
Peter puts them forth in order for us then to be ushered in to the kingdom with pomp and ceremony that we have done a good job. We have kept the faith. Hence therefore there is laid up for us a crown of righteousness. Not for us only, but also for all those who love His appearing. But it begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hope that during this year you get so tired of hearing these seven principles that you do them.